Rapide are back in European competition after a hiatus last season, and this special episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast looks ahead to everything that awaits them in UEFA Europa League Group B. very warm welcome to our special edition of the other Bundesliga podcast. This is a European preview podcast about the Austrian record champions. Yes, that is Rapid Vienna for those of you who are wondering. My name's Tom Midler and I'm joined today by our regular other Bundesliga co-hosts, that's Simon Clark and Lee Wingate. And we are all congregated at the Long Hall Pub and Kitchen, which is our favourite place in Vienna to eat some good food, drink some nice beer and watch a bit of football in Vienna as well. So anybody who is in the Austrian capital, get on down to the Long Hall for your sporting fix and uh, great food and beer, of course, at the same time. It is the home of the other Bundesliga. You might see us here. And we're here today to chat all things Europa League Group B. Because in this episode, we're going to be discussing Rapid's route into the competition, how they got there. They're back in European football this season. Absolutely massive for Rapid Vienna. We're going to be looking at who they've been pitted against in the all-important Europa League draw. And this is the best part. We're going to be hearing from a series of leading international journalists to get all the lowdown on the different opponents that Rapid will be facing in the Europa League this very season. Before we dive into all of that, a quick note on the rest of our series, because it's not just this Rapid Vienna podcast that we're recording. Over the coming days, we're going to be releasing similar episodes, looking at FC Salzburg in their Champions League journey and uh, looking at fellow Europa League participants. That's LASK, that's VRC as well. So keep an eye out for those podcasts. That is going to cover everything you need to know about the Austrian teams and all of their opponents in European competition for this season. And we've got some absolutely massive special guests joining us on the other Bundesliga podcast for those episodes as well. You're talking people like Metodi Shumanov, Charlie Eccleshare, Charles Watts, Rafa Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo, Arta Petrosian, Lars Sivertsen, some absolutely massive names. They've all come on to the other Bundesliga podcast to help us out. We are very, very grateful to have people of that calibre on the other Bundesliga. Absolutely brilliant for us and brilliant for you, dear listeners, as well, because you get the best insight on all of the teams. And we've got some really exciting teams today because Rapid got drawn in a really, really cool group. More on that later. Let's first start by looking back to last year and how Rapid Vienna got here. So Rapid and their route into the competition. How did Rapid Vienna end up back in European football? They were here a couple of seasons ago. They shockingly missed out last season. They were not involved in European competition. Very painful for a side of the stature of Rapid Vienna. Probably one of the few teams that people all around Europe know from Austrian football. Let's just have a quick look on how they got back there. How did they wrestle a place back in European football for this season? Well, they did it by being very consistent over the course of a season and finishing second for the first time in five years, which is, a, you know, for a club of their stature, being the record champions in Austria with 32 titles, that's a long time not even to finish second. That's what they did. And I think as we mentioned in our sister episode, if you like, on Wolfsburger at Sea, it's kind of a quirk of the Austrian Bundesliga that the second place team, which was Rapid, has to play a Champions League qualifier and potentially risk missing out on European football altogether if they lose, or finishing third, which Wolfsburg did, and then go straight into the Europa League. As it was, Rapid Vienna played a Champions League qualifier, first of all against Lokomotiva Zagreb away in Croatia, won that relatively comfortably, only 1-0, but it was a relatively comfortable performance. And then in the third round, I think, perhaps quite unluckily, missing out 2-1, against Ghent of Belgium. So they ended up going straight into the Europa League group stages instead. Really, for a team like Rapid, it was that game against Lok, uh, Lokomotiva Zagreb. That was the important one. It was a, a nervy affair, a game that never really came to life. But Erchan Kara completed a remarkable journey that we've talked about on the domestic football podcast here with the other Bundesliga. Because Erchan Kara is this guy who's been playing lower league football. He was down in the fourth tier of Austrian football just a matter of months ago and then got promoted to the second tier, then moved up to Rapid Vienna as well, and then scored on his European debut in that massive game against Lok Zagreb. Because that's the deciding point, really, for whether the season's going to be a success or a failure for Rapid, because win the game against Loxagreb in the Champions League, second round of qualifying, you're guaranteed Europa League group stage football. 
You're still hoping for better. Of course, they were still hoping for Champions League football. We sort of looked at it differently. We thought, actually, Rapid are probably better place to play Europa League football right now. But, of course, with the financial situation, the COVID struggles, you know, this is the biggest side in Austria, missing out on massive gate receipts every other week at the moment in Austria with the restrictions on fans entering the stadiums. They could have done with some of that Champions League cash. They weren't able to secure that, but thanks to that 1-0 win away at Lokomotiva Zagreb, they did at least have uh, the bare minimum sewn up. And that is what we've got in front of us now, six guaranteed Europa League ties. And uh, why don't we have a look back to how they did in the season? You know, a couple of things that, that fired them into that second place. As you mentioned, Lee, their first second place in quite a number of years. And, you know, many clubs, obviously Salzburg sweeping up all the league titles at the moment. Second place does have some meaning here in Austria because you're best of the rest. And a lot of that was down to Taxi Funtas. Third place in the goals tally, 19 goals. I noticed statistically that he outscored his expected goals by more than 10 for the season, which is absolutely massive. 10 goals ahead of his XG. So did Taxi Funtas fire a side into second place that perhaps didn't deserve it? Or, or should they have been there? That's a difficult question because, I mean, if you listen to our podcasts over the last season, you'll know that it was a title race with Salzburg and Lask. And uh, then the whole um, Lask corona situation happened. So uh, for Rapid to finish second was quite a surprise to us. They were helped quite massively by Lask, uh, Lask corona situation where they were training when they weren't allowed to, basically, and they were uh, docked points. And uh, it kind of took him out of the title race, which was a shame because it was a thrilling title race and it was picking up news all over Europe. But instead, it was <laughs> European news about Lask's uh, points deduction for their, for their corona irregularities. But Rapid were in the perfect place at the perfect time to claim second place. Taxi Funtas was, yeah, the, 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 the number one goal scorer. And he's continued that into this season as well. He looks a fantastic player. And, I mean, Funtas uh, started his career as a Salzburg youth player as almost every player in Austria is, it seems. But he's really come into his own his last couple of seasons. And yeah, he, he outscored his XG by 10 goals. I mean, not many strikers across Europe who, who would have done that. But it, that screams to me that he's in the right place at the right time. And he just he slots home when he can. I think what's interesting about Taxi Funtas as well is that he'd never scored more than four goals in a league campaign before. And then all of a sudden he got 19. So, I mean, who saw that coming? But we got a question on Twitter as well. Whilst we start to look at the, the Rapid squad, it was Noah M. Swan, I believe, asked us about who the key players are for Rapid this season. And, and, you know, of course, we're looking at the Europa League group today. But I think this is a good time to look at that question because if you're looking at key players for Rapid over the last few seasons, last year this second place finish was seen as a bit of a breakthrough for a side under the manager Didi Kupauer who've not been playing particularly attractive football all of a sudden at the end of the last season it started to look a lot better and Stefan Schwab the talisman the captain he left in the summer after 241 games and 51 goals in the center of midfield for Rapid he was a really important building block in terms of how Rapid played last season Funtas's goals it looked like he was going to leave over the summer. He's held on. He's still there. But now Thomas Murk has actually gone and joined Pauk in Greece uh, alongside Stefan Schwab. So they've lost two of their key attacking players now to Pauk in the summer. And Murk was looking a really important part of this uh, front three that Rapid had just kind of developed. So if we are looking at who the key players are at Rapid, it, it's a really good question right now because it's not a simple answer. You know, Captain Schwab has gone. Murk uh, was really starting to look good as, as recently as, you know, last week at the time of recording he's just gone right at the end of the transfer window which is a bit of a hammer blow to Rapid so late on in that window so who are the key players uh, in your opinion Lee? I think you've covered a few of them there but there are a few names that I'd add I think Rapid had a really big injury crisis towards the end of last season where by the time we got to the championship round they had something like 10 or 11 players unavailable and I think that really gave the chance for them to promote some of their younger players who have since sort of cemented their place in that team. I'm particularly thinking of Yusuf Demir who pulled the goal back against Ghent in that Champions League qualifier which they ultimately lost but very very good at carrying the ball and breaking through the lines. Leo Grimal at the back as well, Kelvin Araze on the right wing. So I think at the moment, you know, it's, it's a big blow to lose the experience of Stefan Schwab, but the promise of those youngsters, I think, is, is enough to give lots of Rapid fans a lot of optimism. Yeah, you've got Dejan Lubacic looking like the kind of replacement captain. He's got, a, he's got some boots to fill, Lubacic, but he started off the season all right. He's still got some room to grow. And perhaps that's the key point, you know, with Schwab and Murg now departing, Rapid need to use that 
as a, a space to grow into for some of their other players. We always talk about Koya Kitagawa. He brings a massive Japanese fan base with him, as a lot of Japanese players do. He moved from uh, Shimizu S-Pulse last season to Rapid Vienna. A lot of Japanese fans interested in how he's doing. And he's now sort of settled in into the kind of first substitute role. So as soon as Rapid make a change in the attack, Kitagawa will be brought on. It was a difficult start to life for him. He wasn't a failure in the last season, but... He scored some important goals, but never quite built up some momentum, never quite gathered momentum in the forward line of Rapid. So it'll be a big moment for him now with Murg having departed. If Kitagawa can, can stand in and start getting some goals, he could become a really important part of that side and, uh, and bring a lot of interest to Austrian football too. Echen Kara, I mentioned his important goal in the game against Lok Zagreb. He has suddenly really found his place at Rapid. He looked like the middle of that front three attacking trio at Rapid. And he plays this target man role really, really well, I think. Uses his physicality brilliantly, feeds a lot of other players and, uh, and starts to get goals himself. He's turned into a bit of a bully in the penalty area. And I think perhaps Erchan Kara might be the, the kind of hinge player this season for Rapid. If, if Erchan Kara can use those abilities in the Europa League, we might see a, a really positive side to, to what Rapid can do. Urchin Kara was the player that I feel is, is going to have, have a, a real breakout season. He's already scored four goals in six games across all competitions this, this season. And uh, I know this is a pod going to be listened to by a lot of English fans. But I think his productivity, he assists a lot of players as well. So he's kind of like, like a Harry Kane mold, which is funny because considering the opponents in uh, Rapid's group. But um, yeah, he's almost like he, he scores goals, but also he, he holds the ball well and, and lays up his, uh, his teammates for goals as well. So Rapid have a, a very exciting group of young players that I think will, will also break through in the season. And it wouldn't surprise me if one of them, uh, I wouldn't say who, will, will, will join the said opponent after the, the, their games. Yeah, I just wanted to give another quick shout out to a couple of players that Lee mentioned as well. You know, Yusuf Demir. I think if you don't know anything about Yusuf Demir right now, check him out. You know, he's probably the most exciting talent. I'm not sure he's going to be the key player for Rapid in this group, but he might be the key player for Rapid over the next two, three, four years. How long can they keep him? How much money can they get for him if and when they sell him? And how much productivity can they get from a player as exciting as Yusuf Demir before he leaves? Because, you know, this is a guy being compared to Messi. I mean, obviously, a lot of players get compared to Messi. It's a ridiculous comparison to make for almost anybody, given how good Messi is. But it's his playing style, you know? He's, a, he's this kind of diminutive midfielder with a great touch, confidence to run forward, confidence beyond his young years as well. And, and Demi is such an exciting player in Austrian football that I think it's worth uh, going on about him a bit much because you don't see players like this that often. And, and for Rapid to have a player of that quality and not Salzburg, that's really unusual in Austria right now. That's exactly who I was talking about. Yeah, 17 years old, he's playing in the Bundesliga and he's fantastic. Every time you watch him play, it, it just the hype grows and grows. So I really think in these games against Arsenal, he'll, he will cement himself as one of Europe's great young talents. We had a little teaser there at the end of the last section. Arsenal, of course, one of the teams that were drawn alongside Rapid Vienna in Europa League Group B. Arsenal came out of pot one. Rapid Vienna, perhaps surprisingly, after being away from European football for a season, were in pot two. Molde FK of Norway were in pot three. And it was Dundalk of Ireland in pot four. So what were your reactions to that draw? Because for me, my first reaction was disappointment, actually, because it was such a great draw. I can't help but think about what we're missing out on in terms of some of those journeys. Yeah, I mean, for me, just drawing a massive Premier League team, just fantastic. And also, it's, it's a group that Rapid can qualify from. They're probably not going to finish top, but they are favourites for second. And that's all Rapid can ask for to potentially go further in the competition. But yeah, it's a great shame for Rapid fans. They would have travelled to all those locations in their thousands, particularly uh, to, to, to North London, to the Emirates, for a, a real glamorous match the most glamorous game since they played it against Inter a couple of years ago. So, yeah, it's, it was an exciting draw, but it's a shame that the fans can't enjoy it. I mean, their aim will be that, that German word, Überwinter, so to see out the winter and to get through to the knockout stages. And I think this is a, it's eminently possible looking at this group. You know, like I said, Arsenal are, are very likely to, to top this group. I think everyone would agree with that. But then when it comes to Mulder and Dundalk, you know, they are teams who do very well in their own domestic leagues but I can I can really see Rapid coming out on top and, and finishing in that in that second place um, and as well just to add it is lovely although the fans can't come it's lovely to see so many English teams against Austrian teams over the past couple of years 
Yeah, it was the 2010-2011 season when Rapid played Aston Villa and Man City played Salzburg. And we had to, we had to wait p- pretty much to 10 years until last season when Liverpool and Man United came and now you have Arsenal and Spurs. It's, just, yeah, it's a great time for the other Bundesliga podcast. Of course, we couldn't have asked for anything better than that. I kind of heard it in what you already said there, but looking at whether you think Rapid can get through, do you really think they're, they're favourites for second place? Because I'm not quite sure myself. I'm, I'm sure they've got a fighting chance, but would you say at the moment they, they would be disappointed if they don't get through? I think perhaps my opinion is slightly skewed by the fact that, as we'll soon hear, I spoke to uh, Lars Sivertsen um, about Mulder, and I think he wasn't overly optimistic about them as a club and also Norwegian teams in European competition historically. So I think perhaps having spoken to him, and, and as our listeners will soon hear, I have an impression that, that Rapid should be second favourites. But obviously you can't take anything for granted. And who knows, maybe Dundalk could even spring a surprise. And in terms of you know, a group with Mulder, with Dundalk, with Arsenal, I know what I would pick usually for games to look out for, some of the huge ties that are coming up. But does the fact that there are no fans going to be in attendance or, or a heavily reduced number of fans in attendance, depending on where these games are held, uh, does that actually change anything for you in terms of uh, which games are the kind of the standout games in this group no i don't think so because it's a trip to arsenal arsenal have been one of the biggest clubs in england for yeah, pretty much their entire existence you know so it's it's a glamour tie it really is and i know that, uh, that arsenal are extremely popular here in austria as well of course an austrian goalkeeper back in the late 90s alex manninger so they're very popular here and i know yeah, I know a lot of personal friends who are also Arsenal fans who just are so annoyed that they can't go to, to that match. But I don't think it changes anything. It's still Arsenal. It's still one of the biggest clubs in Europe, one of the biggest clubs in the world. So for Rapid, it's a great time to try and test themselves against a Premier League side. So we've reached that time in the episode where we're about to hand over to our expert guests who can look at the other sides in Group B alongside Rapid in the Europa League this season. But before we do that... Pot one was Arsenal. Lee, you had a quick look at Arsenal's record against Austrian opposition in the past, didn't you? I did have a look, yeah, and it is great to see that Arsenal do not have a superior head-to-head record against Austrian teams. In total, they've played Austrian sides four times, won two, lost two. So, you'd have to say that uh, that, that makes for good reading for, for Rapid Vienna, although Arsenal are the favourites for this competition. I think most bookmakers are listing them at 7-1, to one, so it will be challenging. Favourites to lift the very trophy itself, wow. Um, and playing Rapid first up as well, just uh, on the 22nd of October, I believe. So coming around very, very soon, that first tie at home in Vienna. Can't wait to host that one. And then, of course, Arsenal versus Rapid as well at the beginning of December. That will take place in London. Two really exciting games ahead. And to preview those, I spoke to Charles Watts. He's a British journalist and he's the Arsenal correspondent for Goal.com. So uh, that makes him the absolute perfect person to speak to ahead of these two games. Charles, thanks so much for joining us on the other Bundesliga podcast. As the story goes around Europe, English teams uh, are said to not really have the full respect for the Europa League. But a lot of English teams have actually done really well in the Europa League in the last few years. So do you think that reputation still holds up or or do you think Arsenal will be taking this one really seriously and uh, looking at the Europa League as a great chance for a piece of European silverware this season? Oh, they'll they'll be taking it seriously. There's no doubt about that. They might still, you know, rotate and rest to play, rest some of their players, judging you know by each game. But that's not because they're not taking it seriously. It's just because they've got a very big squad, and Mikel Arteta simply has to rotate and make sure you know he doesn't burn some some players out. But they'll take it seriously. I mean, I was there. Well, I was there the year they got to the final. I was over in Baku for the final. I saw the immense disappointment after that final. I was. Olympiacos last year when you know they were absolutely distraught when they went out at that um that competition at that early stage to Olympiacos losing at the Emirates especially after winning the away leg um you know Mikel Arteta it was the lowest point of his reign so far was that was that defeat and he was devastated the players were devastated and you know they'll they'll be taking this seriously there's no there's no doubt about it. If the Olympiacos defeat in last season's Europa League was one of Mikel Arteta's low points with Everton. And the last few months have been some of his highest, you know, his highest flying moments with Arsenal, the FA Cup, the Community Shield and some statement wins. So how positive is the mood right now in North London and how good is the football, you know, tactically from, from Mikel Arteta's Arsenal at the moment? I mean, the mood's great. It really is. The, the mood's very, very good. I mean, it was so 
that it's just like chalk and cheese from uh, Unai Emery's time. The, the last couple of months of Unai Emery's reign was so miserable. The dressing room was absolutely broken when Mikel Arteta arrived. And from that point, to get to where he is now in such short space of time is a remarkable achievement. And, um, you know, he's done he's done wonders, really, since he arrived. I mean, winning the FA Cup, they can't, you can't put really into words just how big an achievement that was, considering where Arsenal were when he arrived. To win the FA Cup in such a short space of time is remarkable. They just know how to win at the moment. And it's not the prettiest. It hasn't been the prettiest. The football isn't exactly what you would kind of come to expect under from Arsenal. Certainly if you sort of go back to Wenger's days and the football was played there. And it's not what Mikel Arteta wants sort of for the long term. But he's having to make do with what he's got. And he's making do very, very well. He's made Arsenal a lot difficult to beat. They don't concede many goals. Maybe that's taken away from their attacking play. But when you see the quality of some of the goals that they've scored, although they're not scoring them as regularly maybe as you'd like and uh, being as much of a threat in the final third as you'd want to see from them, when they get it right, they're scoring some very, very good goals. And, and you can just see what he's going. He's trying to do. And it's bit by bit. You can't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and all that. And I mean, the arrival of Thomas Party, obviously we haven't seen him yet in an Arsenal shirt, but that is going to give him so many more options in midfield. He's the player that Arsenal wanted. And he's just going to give him, you know, I, this 3-4-3 formation we've almost seen from Arteta for certainly after a couple of months, certainly since lockdown was lifted. You know, it's worked very well. It's made Arsenal difficult to beat, but they've relied on the counter-attack. I think we're going to see Arsenal moving now to a sort of flat back four and probably a 4-3-3, potentially a 4-2-3-1 type scenario, which is going to hopefully make them more attacking. But I just think Partey's arrival is going to give them so, so much more. And um, we're going to see... Arsenal continuing to evolve under Arteta. Did that move sort of crown what is regarded as a very successful transfer window for Arsenal? I think it does. I mean, you can ask a lot of fans and they might disagree and think more was needed. But, you know, considering the financial position Arsenal and everyone's in at the moment due to COVID, um, I think the work they've done in the transfer market has been very, very good. They've brought in Willian, who, you know, really experienced winner. Um, it has settled in well. Gabriel's been fantastic at centre-back. Uh, Thomas Partey is going to absolutely transform that midfield. I mean, he is a hell of a signing. So I think it's been a really, really good window. I think you've got, also got to think they've secured Aubameyang to a long-term contract as well during that window, Saka and Martinelli as well. So it's not just about new arrivals. They've also tied down some of their key assets as well to big money contracts. So considering the financial position Arsenal find themselves in, it's been a very, very good window, I think. Turning specifically to the Europa League group stages, Arsenal against Rapid Vienna. What is that tie like from the Gunners' perspective? You know, what's the perception of Austrian football like from from England at the moment? I have to be honest, it probably doesn't get too much attention at all, to be honest. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a long-term Arsenal fan as well. Unfortunately, I have to cover the club. But I'm a long-term Arsenal fan. I was at Highbury in 1991 when Arsenal beat Austria-Vienna 6-1 um, in the old European Cup. Alan Smith scored four goals. Um, and it was my first ever European map night uh, at Highbury watching Arsenal. And uh, it's just a game that I'll always remember. It holds a real special place in my heart. So for Arsenal to be going back to Vienna, obviously playing a different team, but to be going back and playing a, a team from Vienna, it's going to bring back good memories for me. And um, I just wish I just wish the fans could go. I mean, it's, it's the, the group stage has generated a lot of excitement in terms of the teams and the trips. But unfortunately, fans aren't going to be able to go. So... Um, you've seen a lot of disappointment as well, certainly on social media, of fans realising that they're not going to be able to go to these games because for an away fan, for a travelling fan, they're fantastic matches. They really are. And it's just a shame we're not going to see full stadiums. Is there any chance that Rapid could potentially, you know, use that to their advantage if they're they're kind of an unknown opponent against a team like Arsenal? Is that Does that put them in sort of a blind spot that could be dangerous? I'm sure it probably could. I mean, the, the thing is that your average fan probably doesn't know too much about Vienna, but Mikel Arteta certainly will. He's a very um, astute manager. He's you know, very, very big on research and analytics and video, and he will, he will know everything about Vienna by the time Arsenal come to, to play them home and away. So there, I don't think there'll be any surprises when it comes to him and his coaching staff and the players. They'll be very, very well drilled and be, know exactly what to expect. But in terms of the fans, yeah, I think there will certainly be a surprise package. And I'm sure Vienna will certainly benefit from not having fans in the stadium at the Emirates. We, we've all seen with results since uh, behind closed doors matches that 
you know, and results are very, very different to what we come to expect. And away teams tend to do a lot, uh, an awful lot better than they had done before. So I'm sure they'll use that to their advantage. But I still think Arsenal, I think they're going to be very, very strong in the Europa League. I think they're going to put an awful lot of work in to try and do well in this competition. So I don't, I'm pretty sure there's not, probably not going to be too many slip-ups during the, during the group stages. Charles Watts there, the Arsenal correspondent for Goal.com. Thanks a lot for joining us on the other Bundesliga podcast today. So what I've picked up from that is that I'm a little bit terrified of Arsenal. I'm really excited to see this game, Rapid versus Arsenal, but they've kept hold of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. What a striker he is. They're going through a rich vein of form right now. Arteta seems to have really bedded in at Arsenal. They've just won the FA Cup. They've won the Community Shield. They're looking really, really good. Some are calling them the favourites for the very trophy you know, what a tie this is and uh, how, how worried should we be about Rapid v Arsenal? Are we going to be talking about 5-0, 6-0 here? It could, could be a significant margin of victory. I mean, you have to remember that there is a massive financial gulf between these two teams. And I think Charles Watts mentioned there the, the transfer of Thomas Partey on the last day of the transfer window for around £45 million. And if you compare just his market value alone, it's more than all of the Rapid Vienna squad put together. And the most valuable Rapid Vienna player, according to Transfer Markt, is, is Taxi Funtas at, at 4 million compared to Parties 50. So you can really see that there is a, a real gulf between the teams. Um, Austrian football just operates within different financial dimensions. We know that. Um, so obviously it's going to be a huge task. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were two defeats and, and perhaps one or two of them quite heavily, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm of a similar thought. I think Arsenal, if it was an Arsenal from a year ago, then, then maybe Rapid might have a chance of scraping a draw. But I mean, under Mikel Arteta, Arteta has re- rejuvenated Arsenal and they look really good going forward. They're solid at the back. And I, I feel <laughs> Rapid don't really have a chance, but I feel Rapid will, for the first, if for the first 20 minutes, it, it is still nil-nil. I think Rapid could maybe keep it to two or three. But if Arsenal score early, I can see it being quite a heavy, a heavy defeat. I suppose it kind of depends on what kind of performance David Luiz has, right? Because <laughs> if he has one of his shockers like he did against Man City not that long ago, then you never know. This is another question, like which team are Arsenal going to play? Like they're not going to play their full strength team against any of these teams in the group. So, I mean, maybe because of that, there might be a chance that Rapid could. But then again, Arsenal's second string is still... <laughs> Massively stronger than Rapid Vienna, so yeah. But uh, it'd be interesting if they play a, cu- a couple of superstar players. Like I, I want to see Aubameyang up close and personal. I've never seen him uh, play live, so that would be good. But yeah, uh, I just think it's going to be a very, very tough game. Whatever team Arsenal put out. I think a, a point you mentioned there about w- which players are going to play. Um, you know, there's going to be a greater need for rotation now than ever because. The coronavirus means that this schedule is, is so congested for the Europa League. You've got three match days you know, in consecutive weeks, and then you've got a break, and then three more match days. There's no spacing out like you usually get in a European campaign where you get two or three weeks between the match days. And that is going to mean that, that teams like, like Arsenal and, and like Rapid as well are going to have to rotate. I suppose one of the glimmers of hope for Rapid is if, they, if Arsenal rotate really heavily and perhaps they come up against a slightly weaker side on paper. But even then, it will be immensely challenging. I think one nice element of that for Rapid is just the fact that this is a complete win-win situation for Rapid Vienna. If they don't get hammered, they'll take that as a, as a positive, really. And if they can get anything out of the game or even just prove themselves competitive in either of those games, then they'll have covered themselves in glory in a way. And they've got a very young, exciting squad and they can just enjoy these games. And, and that might put them in a nice position. And I think something I just remember about Arsenal from European group stage competition is that they have this propensity to perhaps beat a side really heavily in one of the legs and then lose to the same side in another leg. I I seem to remember them maybe three or four seasons ago, they beat Braga 6-0 and then lost 2-0, I think, in in Portugal. And they they do seem to sort of take their eye off the ball. They're not one of these sides that are really good at just getting points in the bank and and coasting away with a group win. And even when Arsenal are really good, they seem to end up somehow finishing second. They they contrive to not win the group, even when they absolutely should. Um, That was maybe more of a Champions League problem than a Europa League problem. But I think this is something that, that happens with Arsenal and their, their willingness to, to rely on young players. And 
in many ways, it's just a tie to be enjoyed. I'm really excited to see what Arsenal can do. I'm excited to see what Rapid can do against Arsenal. And I'm excited to see Arsenal's young players as well. There's so many good players that we haven't even mentioned here. You know, you've got your Sackers, your Maitland-Nileses and, and so on. There's, there's loads of exciting players. And it's just a tie to celebrate, unfortunately, without fans there to celebrate it. So moving down to pot number three in this UEFA Europa League Group B, Rapid Vienna were drawn against Mulder FK. They've got a, an away trip on the 29th of October and they'll be playing at home on the 10th of December in Vienna. And uh, Lee, what about Mulder's results in the past against Austrian opposition? Well, this one's quick to tell you. They have never before played an Austrian side, so this is a first, but it's not too long ago since uh, an Austrian side played against a Norwegian side only last season Lasker in a group with with Rosenborg and beat them twice and looked relatively comfortable in the process and given that Rosenborg are usually the dominant force in Norwegian football perhaps that bodes well for Rapid Vienna absolutely love stats like that Lask versus Rosenborg used as a, <laughs> as, as a potential barometer for Rapid versus Mulder. You know, Austria v Norway, we'll take it as it comes. And of course, Austria just played Norway, actually, in the Nations League as well, and uh, were surprisingly victorious, even against the powers that be in terms of uh, Erling Haaland. So, I mean, Austria guaranteed to win this one at this point. Not quite. But, um, Lee, you spoke to Lars Sivertsen ahead of these games, didn't you? I'm sure many of our listeners know who Lars Sivertsen is already. He writes for The Independent, for Bleacher Report. He can regularly be heard on podcasts such as Guardian Football Weekly and Football Ramble as well. So let's hand over right now to that interview that you did, Lee, with Lars Sivertsen on Mulder. Mulder are the reigning champions of Norway, and during the past decade, they've won the Elitazerian four times and finished runners-up five times. Have they been the dominant force of Norwegian football in recent years? I guess you could say that. I mean, they went through a very long uh, period of their history being uh, almost like a nearly team, a team that sort of finished second to Rosenborg an awful lot. And uh, they are quite a fascinating team, because if you look at, I mean, Mulder is not a huge place. Um, I was actually just looking it up now, so I got to get it right. I mean, the population of Molde is 30,000. <laughs> it's a very small place on the West Coast. Now, of course, they, they have a catchment area that's slightly bigger than that. But, you know, there's not a lot of people in that part of the world. Um, but they are. Uh, but they also they feel like a big club because they're consistently high up on the table and has been so in modern modern times, the recent history. And, and part of the reason for that, obviously, is that they're, they are quite well run. Uh, but they do also have... Um, they do also have a local billionaire who will sort of nudge them in the right direction somehow. It's not it's not comparable uh, in terms of the sort of levels of investment you get from like the fizzy drink empire at a certain club in Austria. You know, it's not <laughs> at that stage. But in Norwegian terms, you know, they have access to, to a bit of cash now and again that has allowed them to that has certainly helped them uh, become a, a bigger club than perhaps the the sort of size of the local area would suggest. So if you look up their stadium on the internet, you'll see they have this gorgeous looking stadium uh, right on the waterfront, you know, which they'll have had some help uh, building, put it that way. And one of the things they do really well or has done well consistently in the last sort of slightly over a decade is that they're very good at picking up sort of uh, young players, sort of 18, 19, 20, 21, who have sort of made a breakthrough domestically, maybe played a season or two domestically. And, and and Mulder will pick them up and, and they'll play one or two or three good seasons at Mulder and then they'll move on uh, for a fee. Uh, and, and I mean, you had a very tall blonde one uh, down in <laughs> down in again in Salzburg in Austria, uh, who was one example of that. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and there are other sort of less high profile example. And there are some in this squad who I expect will move on for money when the time comes. And, and that's something they do. So they are able to attract uh, a lot of young players from around the country, you might think if you're like a very promising young player and you're playing in Oslo where there's a bit of a nightlife, you know, and things are looking exciting, why would you up sticks and sort of move to Mulder, uh, a small town on the coast? It's because they're a club who are just really good at uh, providing a good setting for players to develop. And they com they're competitive on the pitch, of course. They, 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 they've won a couple of titles recently. And they have a proven track record of sending you off into, into Europe. Uh, after after a couple of years of good service up there, so they're they're very they're kind of like a finishing school for a lot of young Norwegian talent, actually. I think in in a lot of European leagues, we tend to forget that the Norwegian season is over a calendar year, right? So you're yeah. currently around two thirds of the way through the Norwegian season. 
And from looking at the table, I can see that uh, Molder aren't first or second right now. They're third behind Rosenborg and uh, a certain Bordeaux glimpse. Not sure I've pronounced that right. Yeah, and I, I, it's worth taking a minute since I guess if you're listening to this podcast, I mean, maybe you have some sort of interest in sort of slightly niche European leagues or maybe you're Austrian. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> Bordeaux glimpse are worth mentioning because looking at Molder, their points per game tally this season isn't terrible. It's slightly lower than what they won the league with last year, but it's not a lot lower. Uh, so them being sort of neck and neck with Rosenborg near the top of the table is kind of where you expect it to be. The trouble is you have this this other team, Budoglimt, who just happened to be like uh, almost, uh, well, happened to be 20 points ahead of them. It's absolutely bizarre. Now, Budoglimt are a team who, they've been a bit of a yo-yo club, really. They're also from a small town uh, on the coast, slightly further up the coast. Budo, I think, have about 50,000 people or something. It's a small place. They've they've not got a local billionaire. So so they've historically, they've sort of been a well-regarded team, but they've been kind of up and down. They've been relegated. I mean, think over the last five years, they'll have spent maybe, well, several seasons in the second tier. Uh, last season, they came up and they kind of shocked everyone and nearly sort of did Leicester by finishing second. But they were, they, they were playing on the break. It wasn't like... It was, it was the still. I'm sure, I mean, maybe you've had that in Austria as well. You get sometimes newly promoted teams who are just quite good at defending and really good at catching teams on the break. And then they kind of surprised everyone and finished second. And everything was, oh, yeah, good, good job, Bordeaux Glimt. But, you know, enough of you now because you lose all your players, you know. And we were kind of expecting Bordeaux Glimt to return to normality this season. But instead, they've just gone wild. I mean, we're 20 games in. They've yet to lose. They've won 18, drawn two, and lost nil. They scored 69 goals in 20 games. I mean, it's completely crazy. They're averaging over three goals a game. And this is a completely unheralded squad with, like, really no big names at all. And they're not playing on the break anymore. They just sort of decided over winter that we're going to push high and play with possession instead. So they've radically changed the way they finished, played when they finished second, and they're just running away with it. I've never seen anything like it. So, like, yeah, you can see Mulder, they're third. But they're not necessarily a, a much worse team, uh, which sounds like a weird thing to say. I don't think they've lost that much compared to, to last season, for instance. It's just there's this freakish team in the league who are doing absolutely incredible things that don't make any sense. And uh, and Molde have kind of slightly fallen foul of that. It's always great, though, and enjoyable when somebody upsets the apple cart like this. So let's hope they can see the season out and finish top, which I'm, yeah. I'm sure they will, given their vast lead. And this is where the summer league stuff becomes an issue because, you know, there, there are two there are upsides and downsides to that. The upsides to having a summer league is that you, you go into these uh, Europa League and Champions League qualifiers uh, have being in, 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 in season, basically. You're used to playing. Player, the players are match fit. There's no, they do have a summer holiday and sometimes these games come uh, quite quickly after the summer break. But, but at least they're, they're kind of, the team is kind of settled. The downside is when you win the league in the autumn, you know, you're, you're crowned champion somewhere sort of November-ish, uh, or early November, I think I'm right in saying, uh, and then you're not playing the Champions League qualifier until like July, August the next year. So you have not one, but two transfer windows you need to get through without losing your players. And as someone who follows a smaller European league, you will know that if you do really well, keeping hold of your players is really, really hard. So what we've seen year after year after year in Norway is that the team that wins the league is then picked apart and is not the team that... Good Lord, sorry, there's a huge rat outside now. Very <laughs> gritty London life. I just looked out the window and there was a massive rat. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So what, what, sorry sorry if people were eating while, while podding or something. Um <laughs> But um, yeah, no. You, what you see time and time again is that you have champions who get picked off. Now, I don't think this Molder team is 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 really bad. I think this is a Molder team that, uh, in a normal season, would would have a fair shout at uh, at winning the league. And as as we saw, they nearly made it to the Champions League. So it's not like they've been completely stripped. But uh, yeah, no, that is that is a problem that we see many teams have. They win the league, and then when it comes time to try it in Europe, they're just not the same team anymore. Let's talk a little bit about the, the draw for the group because you mentioned that it's, it's quite a, an exciting looking one earlier. So we've got, you know, Arsenal, Rapid Vienna, Mulder and last of all, Dundalk. What's the reaction been like at Mulder? And, you know, is the expectation that they can make it through this group? Um, I think we've I think we've gotten to a point in Norwegian football that our expectations to our teams in Europe are generally very low. Uh, we, we've had so many years of clubs struggling to make an impact 
in in Europe that it's uh, I I don't think there's really any group draw that leaves us thinking yeah this will be fine like we we we've ended up having to be uh, quite realistic about where we are just for that reason again you'll be familiar with the dynamics here it is so hard to keep hold of players when anyone does well so it's really really hard for a club to to build a team that can stick together for a while and and because even even if you have a good generation in Norway, like you have to like beating teams from richer leagues is really hard, and it's especially hard when you have as much turnover as as some of the top teams do. And Molde, you know, you include Molde in that. Uh, I was just looking at the the squad they had last year when they were in the Europa League last year, and th- there have been some changes since then. So it's just there's just sort of constant there's this constant turnover. What I do think, I guess, the old, the immediate reaction to that group is that everyone's excited about playing Arsenal, but you don't really expect anything from those games, and We've seen Dundalk, uh, Dun- Rosenborg played uh, Dundalk recently, and uh, even though Rosenborg were not in a great place at the time, they won quite easily. So wh- while you have to take them seriously, Dundalk have been at, in the European group stage before. Uh, they're a team who is you know, perhaps a little bit better than you expect from a team from the League of Ireland, and you, you can't like be relaxed about it. They are a team you'll expect to take points off. And then the big question is, you know, is it, is it your guys or my guys? Who will end up uh, finishing second after Arsenal? I think it'll be between Rapid and, and Molde for the for the second place. I would imagine. You mentioned earlier about the, the turnover of players. Who are some of the key players in this Molde side, and what kind of football do they play? Right. So um, they they are an attacking side that typically line up in a sort of four-two-three-one uh, system, which. Uh, I mean, with with fullbacks who push up on both sides, really, and they've they've uh, recently signed a. Uh, a new left back, even though they're new. This is the thing, the thing Mulder can do. There are there are quite a few fans in Norway, neutral fans, who don't like Mulder at all because they spend a bit of money domestically. And like they, like now, they had a perfectly decent left back and then they've got out and bought another quite good left back who other people thought, a young man named Birkrisa, who other people thought would have gone straight out to a European club or a different club in a bigger league who's actually going to Mulder to, to, to spend some time there, I guess. But yeah, they're an attack-minded team, usually line up in a 4-2-3-1. Uh, uh, probably key player, I'd say number seven, the captain, Magnus Wolfeikrem, who was at the Man United Academy, uh, then had a had a decent spell in, in Holland with Herrenveen, uh, went to Cardiff with Olgen Solskjaer. That was maybe not a great career move. Uh, had a bad time at Cardiff, ended up at Malmö, in Sweden, and then had a had a brief stint in MLS that didn't quite work out. So he's one of those, and I'm sure you will have had a few of those in Austria. He's one of those. He is probably a little bit too good to play in the Norwegian league, but it hasn't happened for him when he's moved abroad to bigger leagues. So he's kind of ended up back where he began. And I, I feel a bit sad that he hasn't made it at a bigger stage because he's a very technically gifted player, uh, good vision. You know, not not a, not a typical Norwegian player in that he's not uh, like he's a bit slight. He's not a great a great physical specimen, but very clever. Uh, good vision. It can it can put a ping passes around. It has a decent shot on him from set pieces as well. Very very nice player to watch as a neutral. Uh, so he's he's thirty now. So he's probably not going to have a great for uh, European adventure. He's from the area, so he's kind of returned home to Molde and will be captaining that side into his mid thirties for as long as his. Body will let him, I imagine. He's their, uh, their, their number seven and definitely a danger man in terms of creating things. So that was Lee Wingate talking to Norwegian journalist Lars Sivertsen. Really nice to hear from him. Lars Sivertsen exploring the uh, the gritty side of London life, as he described it, with a rat in, <laughs> in his house or near his house. I think walking past his window. <laughs> Wow, I'm glad we're over here. You know, we, we've got to play against Arsenal as well. So if we go over to London for that game, these are the things that we're watching out for. We're not watching out for the, the Arsenal strikers. We're watching out for the rats of London. It sounds like a grim Victorian drama, this, doesn't it? Uh, before we get too much into that, it sounds also from that interview like it's going to be what we kind of expected, maybe a head-to-head here between Mulder and, uh, and Rapid Vienna. And I'm just hoping that Rapid can do, they can do a Bodo slash glimt and uh, pull out a points lead against Molde in the group. Absolutely, uh, just, a, just a time to shout out Bordeaux slash Glimt for, for having a slash in their name. Absolutely brilliant. I did the whole interview unaware of the fact that there was a slash in that name. But uh, yeah, an incredible season from them. Anyone that's 20 points ahead. Um, so maybe if the season's kind of gone... 
that will give Mulder a chance to concentrate on, on the European competition. Lars didn't seem overly optimistic about Norwegian sides in European competition over the past few years. Um, and I'd have to say that, you know, from listening to what he said, I am optimistic that the Rapid will come out on top of this head-to-head. Mulder might have done very well in domestic competition over the last few years, but they've never really achieved that much in Europe. And I, I just found out from Wikipedia they have won one European trophy. That is the La Manga Cup in 2010. That's a, a winter tournament held in Manga del Mar for clubs from countries with summer seasons. But really, I don't think we should expect too much from Molde. So I'd have to say that I, I do make rapid favourites against Molde. And I, I, yeah, I am hopeful that, that they'll be able to edge them out. I think it, it definitely is between those two, because if you look at Dundalk's European record, it is, is very modest to say the least. So if they can get a win against Molde at home and perhaps a draw in Norway, I think that would be a, a job well done. Yeah, those are the two most important matches in the group, in my opinion. Uh, if Rapid get four points out of those two, that they're going to be in the in the round of 32. The games against Arsenal are these glamour ties, but, but these are the ties they have to win. These are two cup finals almost. But like they have experience of a cup final type atmosphere with uh, their game against Lokomotiva Zagreb. So from what I heard from that interview, I, I'm not worried for Rapid. I think Rapid will will get two wins here, and uh, yeah, they'll be sailing through to uh, the the round of 32. On to pot four then from UEFA Europa League Group B and Rapid were drawn to face two ties that we were excited about. That was two games against Irish side Dundalk. They're both taking place in November. Rapid v Dundalk on the 5th of November. Dundalk versus Rapid on the 26th. And uh, do Dundalk have any kind of history? They've been making a name for themselves in the Europa League qualifiers in recent years. And uh, they've been a thorn in the side of, of many a team over recent years and recent campaigns. But have they ever met Austrian opposition? Well, unlike Molde, Dundalk have never won a European trophy, unsurprisingly. In fact, it's only been in recent years that they've really emerged in Ireland. But they're kind of doing what Salzburg are doing to Rapid at the moment, where you've got Shamrock, who are the record champions, with 17 titles. But Dundalk have won four of the last five and are slowly catching up to perhaps take that record champion title soon. They've done very well domestically, haven't got to the Europa League group stages since 2016-17, to when they finished bottom of a group with uh, Zenit, Azad Alkmaar and Maccabi Tel Aviv, and uh, they've never faced an Austrian side before. All right then, so no previous history against Austrian opposition. Let's hand over now to Jonathan Higgins. He's an Irish journalist based in Dublin. Hopefully fewer rats to be found there. (laughs) He can be found uh, on Off The Ball, Redmen TV and Ireland AM as well. So here's what we chatted about with Jonathan Higgins regarding Dundalk versus Rapid. When it comes to previewing Dundalk, you really have to take a couple of steps back, really. You probably even have to step back as far as 2016, when Stephen Kenny was the manager at the time. They made history. They were the first Irish team to secure points in the Europa League group stage. Um, Irish teams, by and large, don't do well in Europe. You would even go as far as saying is that the Irish domestic league has been a non-existent, really. It's been looked over completely by the Football and Association and there's been a lot of controversy on that where there's been a lot of financial abuse. But anyways, back to the football. 2016, Stephen Kenny's team did did remarkably well. It was a team that had won three league titles in a row and were in great form, renowned for their style of football. Stephen Kenny was rewarded then with becoming the Irish international football manager and he's still the manager today. He just took over his reign a couple of months months ago. That meant that last season then his assistant, Vinnie Perth, took charge. Again, he continued on the brilliant domestic form and the same brilliant attacking style of football. Uh, winning a league and cup double were actually only a couple of minutes away from securing a domestic treble. That being said, it was disappointment on the European side of football. They were knocked out early again. And they do have US owners, Peak Six, who only priority, it seems, is to secure European football. Some would even go as far as saying as the reason they took over Dundalk is they saw it as an easier way to secure Champions League football or at a Europa League football at a minimum. You fast forward to this season where the honeymoon well and truly wore off for the new manager, Vinnie Perth. A lot of trouble in, in the squad. The form on the pitch wasn't good enough. Captivated really by a disappointing performance and were knocked out in the Champions League qualifying stages. 
pretty much on the plane back home, he was sacked as manager. And from absolutely no place, a guy called Filippo Giovanoli, a guy that has no managerial experience whatsoever, was given the job on a temporary short-term basis. His CV is remarkable. He's one of these guys where my first introduction was with him is, I have to confess, I don't know who you are. He's prior um, coaching experiences, what it was, I believe, with, with summer camp. So it was quite a... There was a lot of head scratch, really, when he was announced as manager. That being said, reports from him is and from the squad in general, they really, really got on board with him. Um, all the squad members remark on his level of preparation and, and the absolute detail and the improvement in training. And he's really, really got, I suppose, the, the buzz of the group back on track. Domestic league form has been pretty much very, very poor. There's been a lot of injuries, but... He has brought the the Holy Grail and they've gone through, albeit with a probably as rewarded from, from being champions last season, they have got an easier draw too and have secured Europa League football. Hence, we're having this conversation. But that those achievements have pretty much rewarded him. The talk is that he's going to be offered the long-term contract now and, and build on to, which is just remarkable given that he doesn't even have a coaching license. So it's it's quite remarkable on that, on that form. Form domestically at the moment is is quite poor. Um, they are twenty points off the lead. They're sitting sixth position. To, although they do have two games at hand, Shamrock Rovers are the runaway uh, league leaders at the moment. The remarkable thing really is is European football has come at a time when it's probably least expected. You would have expected it to come last season when they were in such great form. Everything looked um, hunky dory. Everything looked like it was, it was going to continue on. But th- that hasn't been rewarded, and it's a strange circumstances. They do have a lot of injuries at the moment. And they are coming back. I suppose if you're talking about in terms of key players, you're probably looking at record goal scorer Pat Hooban up front. And then there's a lot of attacking power in, in midfield, and as well the likes of Michael Duffy and Pat McAlaney. They do try and play a good style of football. It turned into almost a counter-attacking football in, in the in the last qualifier where it was really, really a bad performance and it was interesting to note that the manager's uh, first reaction after the game was a good result but not a good performance. It's probably an indication of what he thought of, of everything. Um, league form, as I said, is completely up in the air. They're also looking at a complete and utter fixture pile-up at the moment. Um and I would go as far as saying is that the only focus really at the moment is uh, the Europe, upcoming European campaign. There's still a, a couple of games to be won if they are to secure European football via the league for next season as well. So it is going to be a juggling act. But the fixture schedule is completely off the wall at, at the moment. Um, in terms of uh, venues in as well, uh, Dundalk's home stadium isn't deemed um, good enough to host European football, so the games will be played in the uh, home national stadium in the Aviva. First game against Molde, in- instantly enough, will be held at the home of Shamrock Rovers because there is a, a clash with a rugby international in the Aviva as well. Yeah, so it's going to be in- interesting to see. It is being looked at as, as, as a good group, really, from Dundalk's point of view. They do have the glamour tie, and as, as many t- the rest of the teams in the group have of having Arsenal coming into town the other games are probably being realistic are the games that Dundalk are going to focus on really in terms of securing points securing points against Arsenal even a a B Arsenal team is going to be quite difficult Um, but we'll have to wait and see the biggest thing that you would have to say is there has to have to be a complete and utter upturn in form when it comes to Dundalk at, at the moment, their form is quite poor. Is it going to be that Filippo is going to be the or the lucky Italian um, journal? I, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. He's a, he's had a remarkable race to form already so far. It's been com- complete Rye of the Rover stuff. And we'll have to see if that continues. Jonathan Higgins there talking about Dundalk ahead of their two games against Rapid Vienna. Really interesting stuff, new manager, a bit of drama with venues as well, of course, for Dundalk at the moment. This is a side who know how to win league titles, they know how to win silverware, something that Rapid themselves have consistently struggled with in uh, recent years, you know, in recent decades, in fact. It's been a long, long time since Rapid fans have got their hands on some silverware. Does that make these games a bit of a banana skin? You know, if they've got a game against Arsenal, which we described as a bit of a free hit, we've clearly identified these two games against Mulder as the two games that are set to determine who goes through in the group stages. But what does that make these two ties with Dundalk then? Because if they're must-win games, that does present Rapid with some difficulties. And I can kind of imagine them struggling in a game, you know, if, if you're talking to them saying, you've got to get six points out of these two games, that somehow brings with it 
a pressure that isn't going to be easy to deal with for a side of the stature of Rapid Vienna. Yeah, we were talking before about Molde being 20 points off the pace in the, in the Norwegian league and perhaps that would give them a chance to concentrate on European competition. Very much the case for Dundalk, who are also exactly 20 points behind Shamrock Rovers, albeit with a few games in hand. Perhaps their attentions will turn much more towards the Europa League and, and perhaps they are capable of causing a surprise as well. So I know earlier in the pod, perhaps a bit glibly we wrote them off but I'm sure they are capable of producing good performances especially with with very little to play for domestically would you say we were being Bodo slash glib <laughs> shocker Sai, did you have an update about the venues as well yes this is rather interesting as Jonathan said there's been a bit of drama about the uh, uh, the, the venue they're going to play at um they're going to split their games between the home of Shamrock Rovers, the uh, Talat Stadium, and, and the Aviva Stadium, which is, of course, where the, where the Ireland rugby and football teams both play. But apparently, to save €50,000, they're looking to move their games up to Northern Ireland to play at Windsor Park, which is a strange situation, playing outside their own country. But if it saves them €50,000, I mean, this is a club that hasn't, I, I don't imagine is rolling in, in that much cash. So uh, to save €50,000 would be a sizable amount. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see because I can't think of too many situations where a team would be playing outside of, the, of their country. I just wanted to also mention that it's a shame that the fans will not be travelling. I remember when the Republic of Ireland played here in 2016 in Vienna. It was just one of the greatest atmospheres I've, I've seen in Vienna. The whole city was like, it was, it was happy. The, the Irish fans have an ability to put smiles on your faces. So it's a real shame that their fans can't travel over here and enjoy Vienna because I know it would have been an amazing atmosphere. And I, I'm sure the Irish pubs of Vienna and, of course, our home at the Long Hall would be very disappointed not to have their custom. Yeah, so this looks like the uh, UEFA Europa League Group B is going to be shaping up into a really exciting group. Arsenal, Rapid Vienna, Mulder and Dundalk. Some brilliant ties ahead, no doubt. I'm really looking forward personally to the Arsenal games, of course. To, well, I, I really, uh, it's just wrong to even just pick them out. I'm looking forward to all of these games because the Arsenal games, the Dundalk games, they're quite special for us. You know, of course, Dundalk are from, from Ireland, you know, another English-speaking country and a lot of passionate fans, as you just talked about, Simon. Arsenal, that's something really special for us. You know, the Premier League draw. And then the Mulder games... We're excited. We're the kind of football fans who are excited about games against Norwegian opposition anyway because these kind of things stick out to us. But for those who are not so uh, enamoured by Austrian v Norwegian Europa League ties, when they take on the, the, the role of being the kind of deciding games in the group, then they become really exciting in their own right too. It's a completely different pressure from any, other, uh, from any of the other games that, that Rapid will play. So I don't even know what to pick. I'm looking forward to all of them. And I just wanted to get your take on the, the, the final predictions for the Europa League Group B. What about Rapid? Where are they going to finish in this group? I think that the clubs in this group will finish in exactly the, the order of pots they came out of. So I think Arsenal will win it quite comfortably. Rapid will make that second place. So I'm quite confident of that. Mulder in third and then Dundalk in fourth. So I'm going to go with the, um, yeah, I'm going to go with the order that they came out of the pots. Yeah, same for me as well. Um, I think if Rapid didn't qualify here, it'll be a massive disappointment. And uh, actually, I, I, Rapid are the team I'm most confident about of all the four Austrian teams to qualify for the next round. I think they, uh, I'm almost 100% sure that they will be in the round of 32. Wow, big talk. Some really big confidence. Rapid fans listening to this podcast, uh, don't talk to us if it doesn't work out. <laughs> don't come back to us. We, we make no guarantees. But uh, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how this group pans out. A lot of positivity about Rapid getting that second spot. Um, I think something that works in their favour is that you only have to look back to 2018. And that was a Rapid side two seasons ago that were playing in the Europa League who were not as good as they are now. Kubauer might not be the most popular coach in the world, but he's got Rapid getting some results. They know how to grind out results occasionally and and. They're playing a nice style of football as well at the moment. I think this season they look even more exciting than they did last year. And there's plenty of room for these young players to go into the squad. And, and two seasons ago, they got results like they, they, I think they did the double over Spartak Moscow, including a December win away in Russia, you know, which the, the old cliche goes about how hard it is to get results away in Russia in European competition, especially for a side like Rapid. And they put a few results like that together and they managed to squeak through the group just two seasons ago. And... You know, they, they then got the reward for that with a, a packed tie over two legs against Inter Milan, playing at the Giuseppe Miazza and, and playing in a packed Allianz Stadion in Vienna as well against Inter Milan. Rapid, 
live for European nights like that. And they'll be starved of the fans, of course, in the, Euro- in the Europa League group stage this season. Nothing anyone can do about that. That's just a disappointing side to this year's competition. But I think Rapid have just about got what it takes to do that. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave with the positivity as well. But on the whole, a group really worth looking forward to. Brilliant to have Rapid back in the Europa League and uh, some exciting ties ahead. So thanks very much for joining us. A massive thank you to all the special guests who appeared on this episode of the Other Bundesliga podcast. We've really enjoyed your expertise on Rapid Vienna's opponents. Now all that's left is to enjoy the matches that are coming up ahead. As you alluded to earlier, Lee, they're all squeezed into a short time period. So we're going to enjoy all of these games between now and Christmas. Plenty of exciting European action to come and plenty of more podcasts to come as well. We've got podcasts especially made for every single Austrian team in European competition this season, including FC Salzburg back in the Champions League this year in the group stages against Bayern, against Atletico. Some massive ties ahead for Austrian football, not just the games between Rapid and Arsenal. Loads more as well. So thanks very much for listening. We hope you enjoy this podcast. We hope you enjoy those podcasts to check everything out on the other Bundesliga at other Bundesliga on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, one final shout out and a thank you to our home here in Vienna, the Long Hall Pub and Kitchen. We're enjoying their hospitality right now and we will continue to do so. So if you're in Vienna, come down here to check out the food, check out the beer and the live sport as well. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. That's extremely helpful to us. We also have a Patreon page if you wish to chip in a few euro each month to help us out. That's over at patreon.com forward slash other Bundesliga. Special thanks go to Gabriel Geber at Torn Geber Studios for this lovely music and also to the gentlemen creatives for their other Bundesliga logo artwork.